our story today begins with a guy that's blind. And you need to know up front that he was born in a time and in a culture that the vast majority of society at that time believed that sin was the reason for, for his blindness. And so you got to kind of tuck that back in, in your mind. And um, John writes, he says, Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents causing him to be born blind? Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, we thank you for the miracles. We thank you for the miracles that we've been reading about. We thank you for the lives that were changed. God, we thank you for the miracles that we have had in our lives. Maybe personally, maybe someone around us. God, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we find there. God, I pray you would open our eyes today. Whatever it is you'd have us see. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. I remember when I was a kid, we would um, go to my relatives. They were over in Nebo, uh, Illinois. And um, it was, uh, I had a distant cousin. And he was very distant, but uh, his name was Kenny. And Kenny, Kenny was blind. And I remember talking to him, he, he said he could see like shapes, sort of, but that everything was, was blurry. And uh, all of us kids, we were about the same age, we would get together, we'd be playing ball, and we'd play wiffle ball a lot, and football, and uh, sometimes Kenny would play. And uh, sometimes he would sit on the sidelines, and he was, he was pretty humorous. He would crack jokes and heckle us and, and what have you. But when we played basketball, he always played basketball. The fact is, he, he loved playing basketball. And he could pass okay. He was really good at shooting, and he had about f- three or four places on the court that I think he just went out and he practiced, and he was pretty good from those spots. But when it came to getting a pass, um, how do I say this? Sometimes he did okay, and sometimes it was just ugly. And and these were his words, and he would always use them, because you would pass to him, and he'd go, I didn't see that coming, you know, and... Uh, you know, he was uh, quite a quite a good sport about things. But truly, I admired him. I admired his tenacity, uh, the zeal with which he embraced life. And I am absolutely 100% sure that living in the blurry world that he lived in, that it was challenging. You know, I, I have... Uh, come to a point in my life when I go to like a restaurant that my arms aren't quite long enough. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, honey, could you hold the menu? I can't, I can't read it. And she, she'll go, you need to bring your glasses with you. And I'm like, why would I bring my glasses when I have you? You know, that kind of thing. But the fact is some days I'm fine. 
I, I can read things, no problem. Other days, it, things are a little bit blurry. And, and at worst, the physically seen, I, I need a bit of distance. Minor, hear me, minor inconvenience in my life. But here's what gets blurry for me. I've got a good friend uh, through high school. Uh, he was my best friend in high school. He had a child born with cystic, cystic fibrosis. She's 21 years old now. Um, she has been in and out of the hospitals most of her life. She has suffered a lot through her life. And friends, when I think about that, it just gets blurry for me. I think about a couple that I know that they've been married for, for years and everything appeared to be fine. And then one day she came home and he had cleaned everything out. He cleaned out the bank accounts. He had packed all this stuff and he left her for someone else. And now she, she's struggling. I mean, just to survive, it's not fair. It's blurry. I think about a young man, and I think I've shared this with you before, but Brian Rainey, um, he was diagnosed with cancer when he was 12. And I watched him as he battled all those years. He had to be one of the most positive people I've ever known. He was always laughing. He was always smiling no matter how much pain he was in. He was just always up caring for everybody around him. And when he lost his battle... At 15, he was almost 16 years old. It just got blurry for me. And the fact is, I bet we could go around this room today and every one of us could add our own stuff. Things that, that we struggle to understand. Things that just do not make sense. Things that, that raise more questions than, than answers in our lives. Things we just don't get. Uh, things that... We, we desperately long to know why. And I thought as we're concluding our series, that as we look at this story, here's what I want us to get. I want us to look and see what it is that God would have us see when we need a miracle in our life. What is it that God wants us to see? In that, you know, when, when we don't understand things, when the bottom drops out, when we are frustrated, when we're broken, what does God want us to see? I remember uh, the first time I came across uh, pictures. Uh, they were in books. Uh, they had posters. And they create kind of an optical illusion, uh, the kind of thing where you look at it, and you think it's one thing, and then after a few seconds, you, you realize it, it's something else. You, you realize that your eyes are playing a trick on you. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, in fact, let, let's just look at one. How many of you, look at this, how many of you think that the lines that run horizontal, are they horizontal to one another, or are they, are they out of skew? How many of you think they're, they're straight lines? All right. How many of you think they're not straight lines? How many of you don't care? <laughs> they are straight. 
but our eyes tell us, our eyes tell us that they're, they're not, right? All right, let, let's try another one here. All right, I want you to really stare at it for a moment. How many of you think the green box that's in between the striped boxes is like getting bigger? Hands? Okay, how many of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about? Again, optical illusion. Let's see the next one. All right, I need you to stare at the X that's in the middle. I mean, really stare at it. You might even need to kind of blindfold your sides, but stare at it. Is anything happening for some of you? What's happening? The dots are disappeared? How many of you, the dots disappeared? How many of you don't know what I'm talking about? That's kind of weird, isn't it? But these are optical illusions. The the fact is, those dots were there the whole time. We're we're not, like, uh, doing anything up in the booth. This is just a photograph. Uh, Optical illusions. Well, friends, I want to suggest in life that we don't have optical illusions, but we got obstacle illusions. The the fact is, there are times when life gets blurry. Things are out of focus. When the disciples, they they noticed this guy. They, they, They saw the obstacle. They saw that he was blind. And you notice the scripture that we started with. It says, you know, they didn't go, well, what can we do for this guy? Hey, Jesus, can, can we do something? Could, could, could you heal him? No, all they see is the obstacle. And in fact, they're trying to figure out who to blame for this. When you see an obstacle illusion in your life, it's when the obstacle, whatever it is, leads you to hopelessness. It's when something happens in your life and you try and fix the blame. You know, who's to blame for this? That becomes your motivation. The disciples, they're looking to, to blame someone. They're, they're looking to, to be able to fix this on someone. Jesus, though, he looks right through the obstacle. In fact, he sees the other side. John writes, he says, neither this man, Jesus is speaking, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in him. See, Jesus looked through the situation. Jesus saw purpose in this man's struggle. I think optical illusions where our eyes play tricks on us, is a lot like our life sometimes when we have these obstacle illusions. In fact, some of you today are facing situations in your, in your life. You're facing a situation maybe that is threatening your financial stability, 
maybe got a pink slip, maybe a, a deal that, that went south. For some of you, maybe you got a bad doctor's report and, and fear kicks in. The what-ifs start captivating your mind. For others, maybe a spouse decided to call it quits. Panic sets in. And life as you know it, it's starting to come undone. I mean, I don't know what it is, whatever it is. Here's what I know. When when the foundations are crumbling, when fear kicks in, when panic prevails, when things seem hopeless, you need to remember it's an obstacle illusion. Now, I do not want to be misunderstood right now. I am not suggesting that the obstacle in your life, whatever it is that you're facing, I am not suggesting it's not real. I'm not suggesting it's not painful or difficult. The, the situation's real. But the moment that you find yourself hopeless... The moment that all you can do is try and fix the blame, you have got to look through whatever it is. You need to ask yourself as you look at the obstacle in your life, that situation in your life, what might it be that God wants to do? What might it be? Why are you going through what you're going through? Maybe so God might display his power in your life. How many of you are facing a situation, a obstacle? You're facing something that you wish you weren't facing. Come on, let's be honest. How many of you? I've got a uh, GPS in, in my car, and I, I don't use it very often, but the other day I was heading somewhere and uh, didn't know exactly where I was going, and so I set it. And so I'm cruising, I'm cruising along, everything's going great, okay? It'd go turn left, and I'd turn left, and say turn right, and I'd turn left, and then have to correct it and get right. I'm, I'm dyslexic. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm listening to this, I'm watching the miles kind of tick off, the destination's getting closer and closer, and I got about halfway there. And there's this massive wreck. And it must have been bad because the traffic was really backed up. And I was in for a really long wait. And so I'm kind of, I don't wait well. uh, And I'm kind of looking around and I see a side country road. And I thought, well, why not? And so I turn off on the country road. And I get just barely down the road and I hear it recalculating your route. And it started winding, and I took turn after turn and twists, and it got a bit rugged at points. It was an unplanned detour. Yes, I did get where I was going. When you face obstacles, when life throws you a curve, when you end up in a point where you come to a sudden stop in your life, what if, what if it was just... A detour. God is going to get you exactly where God desires for you to be. And when you see that obstacle, that situation, you see it as a problem. God sees it as an opportunity. When things get fuzzy, and trust me, they will at some point. 
when you face that obstacle, see through it. See through it. See through that illusion of hopelessness and realize that God can do something in it. You know, when life gets blurry, I think God wants us to respond with obedience. If you have been paying any attention, we've been in this series seven weeks now. And almost every week, I have talked about obedience. And what I'm hoping is something clicks and you go, I think there's a trend here. The miraculous is tethered. Hear this. The miraculous is tethered to obedience in our lives. Maybe, maybe that breakthrough, maybe that, that thing that you are hoping that God will get you through, maybe it's on standby because you're not obeying something. Not obeying something that God's asked you to do. God's waiting for you to respond in obedience. And here's the question, are you being obedient? Are you being obedient? And if not, why not? You got this guy. He overhears the disciples. The disciples are talking and and he's listening to them. Whose fault is it, Jesus? Is it his sin? Is it his parents' sin? I am pretty sure this guy had heard this kind of argument going on before. Jesus walks over to the guy, doesn't say a word. Scripture says he spit on the ground. He made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Notice Jesus doesn't walk over to the guy and go, hey, uh, I'm the son of God. You're blind. I created the world. I think I could heal you. Jesus doesn't say anything. All this guy hears is... Think about it. I figure this guy hears that. I think someone just spit. I wonder if somebody just spit at me. And I'm not sure how much spit it takes to make mud. But I'm thinking a lot. (laughs) Jesus spits on the ground enough that he takes the dirt and the saliva and he makes mud. And then he walks over to the guy Remember, he hasn't said a word. And he smears it on his eyes. Can you imagine that? This guy's listening to the disciples. They're having a discussion. Who's to blame? And then somebody comes over and and wipes mud on your face. I figure he's sitting there thinking, this isn't right. This is messed up. This is the pits. 
But then Jesus speaks. Scripture says, go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home what? Seeing. Jesus says, go and wash. And this guy gets up and does it. He, notice the guy doesn't say, well, I'm going to pray about that and get back to you. He doesn't say, you know, that, that sounds kind of Old Testament to me. You know, I'm a New Testament guy. I'm not sure that applies to me. He doesn't say, hey, uh, that sounds a bit risky. Here's what I was thinking, Jesus. I'll just go home and wash the mud off at home. That'd be a lot easier. You know, water's water, isn't it? Huh? No, this guy simply obeys him. And as a result, he's able to see. He's seeing blue and and green for the first time. He's seeing trees and, and flowers. He's seeing people. I have always wondered when I read that passage, here's what I think. The first thing that this guy saw, I think he saw his reflection in that pool for the very first time. What has God called you to do that does not make sense? I wonder how many of you, seven weeks ago, when when I asked the very same question, that, that something came to mind. Something kind of hit you in, in the gut. And here we are all these weeks later. And you still haven't done it. You still haven't moved. And, and I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. And it's because I care and because I love you. Delayed obedience is disobedience. No matter how you cut it, no matter how you look at it, delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, we go, why God? You know, why haven't you done something? Why, why haven't you given me a breakthrough? You know, why, why haven't you moved in my situation? Why haven't you answered my prayers? Why haven't you been there? And what I want to ask you is why haven't you obeyed? Why, why don't you do what God has asked you to do? Why don't you move in the direction you sense God's Holy Spirit guiding you? It might not make sense. It might be hard. It might be difficult. But why haven't you taken the step? God responds to obedience. God always responds to obedience. Early in my Christian walk... Um, very early on, I, I would kind of sense God moving me, uh, that God's Holy Spirit would kind of prompt me or press me or guide me to do this or that. And I'll be honest, I was kind of paralyzed early on. I wasn't sure what to do. And so I just didn't do anything. And it would kind of nag at me, um, eat at me, bother me. And I'd go, oh, that's just ridiculous. That makes no sense. There were some times it was like, well, that'd be really hard. And I I remember struggling with that, and I was at camp that summer, and it was really kind of just getting the best of me. And the dean at the camp, I uh, 
was kind of telling him about what was going on in my life. And I remember him suggesting to me, he said, Damon, why don't you get a spiral notebook? And just when you sense something, write it down. And these promptings, this, you know, oh, you ought to do this or that, just write them down and then go do it. And he kind of reminded me, he goes, you've got to make sure it all lines up with Scripture. It doesn't run counter to Scripture. But he says, if it's from God, it'll line up, and you just need to do it. And so I was like, okay. And I'll be honest with you, very reluctant. I remember getting the notebook and thinking, I don't want to do this. But I had a lot of respect for this guy. And so I decided to do it. And he had suggested that I write, have three columns. What God was asking me to do or what God was guiding me or what I sensed. Then to write down what I did and then write down what happened. And so I would sense something or feel that God was asking me to do something. And uh, it would just kind of kind of kick in. And so... I would take and I'd write it down. I mean, sometimes I would sense something when I was reading Scripture. Or I would feel God kind of pressing me in a, in a message at church or at Sunday school. You know, sometimes I'd be praying and something would just come to mind that I, that I needed to do or that I should do or shouldn't do. You know, once in a while I'd see a situation and I'd be prompted to kind of respond to, to that. And so I just started trying to be obedient the best I could, okay? And I would write it down. I'd write down what it was I felt like God was, was asking me to do. Sometimes, okay, sometimes after I was obedient, God would move right away. You know, I would see a blessing or... I would see the good that came out of it, or God would use me to make a difference in in someone's life or situation. Sometimes, when I was obedient, it was like a catalyst for something totally different, something that wouldn't have happened uh, if I hadn't been obedient. I got to meet someone or uh, got into a situation. They go, oh, you know why don't you try this? Or, you know, it just moved me in another direction. And sometimes after I was obedient, I didn't see anything, just waited. And so I left that blank on there. And what happened over the summer was I began to see the blanks fill in. And that summer was life-changing for me. Now, do not misunderstand me. Most of what I did or felt called to do or God pressing me to do, they were not big things, okay? They weren't a big deal. Uh, But there were a few things that really left an imprint in, in my life, and it did change the way I started living, the way I started trusting God. I mean, really trusting God and just saying, you know what, I'll be obedient, whatever it is. What's God asking you to do? Are you being obedient with it? I remember one of the promptings that summer. God uh, 
prompted me to go over to my neighbors next door. And I don't remember if it was in prayer or at a message at church, but I just felt the need to go next door and share with my neighbor and ask them to make Jesus Christ their Savior. And you have to understand, I was maybe 14 or 15 years old at the time. My neighbor, Paul and Lucille, were in their 50s. I remember going over, and and honestly, I started sweating as soon as I left my house. I was not sure how I was going to do this. And I got over there, and Paul was working in his garden. And so I just started helping him work in his garden, which wasn't strange because I did a lot of work over at his house uh, because when I would get in trouble, my dad would go, you go over to Paul's and Wheaties Garden. You go over to Paul's, and, and Paul was always thrilled. He goes, so how many hours do I get you today? <laughs> well, this time I just went over. And I just started helping him. And he goes, what you in trouble for? And I said, nothing. Just thought I'd come over and help you. And so I started helping. And then I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I just started blurting it out. And it was not pretty, and it wasn't well done. But I started sharing with him that he needed Jesus Christ in his life and who Jesus Christ was and what, what he could do for him. And there came a point after I thought I had shared everything that I could that I asked him if he wanted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I remember him saying, you know, Damon, Church is nice for some people. And it kind of deflected me, but I just kept trying. And finally, I was getting zero. I did not get anywhere, so I thought. And I just said, well, I'm going to pray for you right now. And right in the middle of the garden, I just said, bow your head in prayer. <laughs> and, and, and I'm praying that he'll, he'll come to a point that he'll make you his savior. And right there in the garden. And then I said, I got to go. And I went home. And I just felt awful. I mean, I felt awful. And so I wrote in my book, talked to him in the garden, even prayed for him in the garden. And then I left the God part blank. Left it blank for several weeks. A few weeks later, I finally, I wrote in the God response part, waiting. <laughs> Toward the end of the summer, I wrote, still waiting. Friends, Years went by. I forgot about it. I don't even know where the notebook went. Twenty years later, I'm pastoring in Springfield. It's about three miles from where I grew up in high school. I'm out greeting people in the atrium area. And Paul and Lucille walked in. They're coming to church. And then they started coming every week. And finally, I caught them after service one morning. And I said, why'd you guys start coming to church? I said, I'm thrilled you're here. 
But why'd you start coming? Paul, he was always the one that spoke. He goes, Damon, you probably won't remember this, but I was working in my garden one day. And you came over. You started talking to me about Jesus. He says, do you remember praying for me in the garden? I'm thinking, seriously, do you think I forgot that? (laughs) You know. But as he said that, I, I start recalling my journal. And I will never forget, because he said, Damon, I couldn't shake what happened out there. He says, I went inside, and I talked to Lucille about it. And he said, that has bothered me all these years. And he said, we've decided to get stuff straight with God. And they did. Years later, I would do both their funerals just a couple months apart. And I will tell you that both times when I stood at that graveside, I could not help but wonder, what if I had not been obedient? Some of you, life is fuzzy right now. And I want you to know that life gets less fuzzy if you just do whatever it is that God asks you to do. You just got to do it. You just got to step up, whether it's in a relationship or in, in your situation. Maybe it has to do with your walk with God. What's God asking you to do? Because God's waiting for you to be obedient. You know, when life gets blurry, I, I think God wants us to see our blind spots in life as well. There's a group of religious people in Jesus' day, the Pharisees. If you read this story, and I'd encourage you to read it this week, but the Pharisees knew this guy. They knew he had been blind since he was born. In fact, the Pharisees probably walked by this guy every single day because this guy was in the the court of the temple and he was always begging for money. Because that's how he survived. The Pharisees heard that this guy had been healed, that he could see. And they, they kind of freak out. They have this guy brought in for, for questioning. Think inter- interrogation, really. They are giving this guy the third degree. Who did this? When did they do it? How did they do it? And they're kind of pushing on this guy. And I'm going to assume that this guy's kind of shaking his head, thinking, are you guys for real? He is summoned to the temple court on two different occasions. They, they go and press his parents. And the second time that they are pushing on him, it gets ugly. They are taking pot shots at Jesus. They're, they're trying to discredit what Jesus did. And finally, it's kind of a, this flurry of just cheap shot after cheap shot after cheap shot. And I love this guy's response because he says, now that's remarkable. He's making fun of what they just said. He says, you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. 
if this man were not from God, he what? Could do nothing. I'm going to paraphrase that. He says, you guys are clueless. All I know is yesterday I was blind. Today I see. I, I can see your faces. I can see through the who, what, when, where, and how, and whys. I can see what you're trying to do. You're trying to discredit Jesus. He healed me. Now who's blind? See, the Pharisees had a blind spot. They, they, they were so focused on the law. They were so focused on the fact that, that Jesus had performed a miracle on the Sabbath. And they, they thought that was just way too out there. That they couldn't see Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, had just healed this guy. They just miss it. You know, I wonder, what, what's your blind spot? So some of you are so focused on something that you think is so important that you're missing what's right beside you. Some of you are so fixated on things that you're missing the most important things in life. You're missing what God's trying to do in your life. You're so fixed on on the obstacle, the problem, you're missing what God's trying to do. See, when, when life gets blurry, God wants you to see through it. He wants you to see through it so that you're not hopeless. That, that, that obstacle doesn't, doesn't break you down. God, God wants you to be obedient. God wants you to look and see where, where your blind spots are so that you can see that God can move in our lives and in your life and mine. Pharisees, they have this blind spot. They question this guy. They don't get the answers that they wanted. They're really hacked off. They throw this guy out of the temple. Now you need to understand, this wasn't just for the day. He's no longer allowed in the temple. He's being thrown out of the house of God. Very ungodly thing that took place there, but they threw him out. Jesus hears about it. And he goes to find this guy. Scripture says Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, that statement was saying, Savior of the world here. He says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he what? He worshiped him. When we have an obstacle in our life, situation, our tendency is to fix, to to really fixate ourselves on that which is fixable which is tangible, which is qualifiable, which is explainable. And what is amazing about this story is that this guy who had never seen anything before, his eyes are healed. So now he can see. He can see colors. He can see shapes. He can see everything that that God had created. 
And every time I read this story, I I think, that is amazing. And it is. But there's much, much more to this story. There's more than a guy that's blind being healed and being able to see. Because the reality is that was temporary in his life. He's going to die X amount of years later. But what happened in this passage at the end, it's forever. It's eternal what's taking place here. That the power of God healed his body, but more importantly, it healed his heart. It changed his heart. He went from being blind to being able to see. He went from death to eternal life. And sometimes we are just blind to the things of God. We are blind to what God is trying to do in our lives because we get so fixed on the problem that we're not able to see God move. You know, maybe it's because of sin. Maybe it's because we're just fixed on me, 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 me. You know, maybe we're we're fixed on the, the obstacle or the problem or the crisis that's overwhelming us. But friends, we're just blind. We're just blind. And some of you today, you need that one-on-one encounter with the creator and sustainer of this world. In fact, some of you just need to fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, I believe. In fact, I don't just believe. I believe that you are the son of God and you just need to worship. I have said before, it's in worship. It's in worship that things change. It's in worship that blinded eyes suddenly can see. Suddenly see who God is. See what God's doing in your life. And here's the truth. Believing. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. It's not the other way around. Believing is seeing. You know, John Newton... Uh, He lived in the 18th century, um, lived in London. His mother was a Christ follower who deeply loved God, deep love for God. His father hated God. John was six years old. His mom dies. And he's angry. It made no sense. John's world became very, very fuzzy. And it became an obstacle for him. At 11 years old, John decides to join his father and becomes a merchant sailor. His hatred for God, his rage, off the charts, he started really rebelling. Against God, he began to to choose a path that would take him so far away from God because of what happened way back then. He becomes a captain, slave ship. Now, this is a century when more than six million slaves would be taken, drug from their homes and sold into slavery all around the world. John Newton, right in the middle of it. In fact, he was a leader in it. His own admission, he personally said he ordered families taken from their homes. He 
ordered children taken from their parents. He ordered men and women beaten. Friends, it's about as cruel and as ungodly as it can get. He said he was on a voyage back home, heading back to London. And they encountered a, a huge storm. He said that he was sure they would not survive. He said it all started hitting him. He was thinking, I'm finally going to get what I deserve. He said he just started thinking about his whole life and that that one moment losing his mom and he had went down this just horrible path. He said the storm calmed. He realized he was going to live. And he said it changed him. He was down in the stateroom and he noticed a, a book, The Imitation of Christ. And he said he started reading that book that evening and for the first time he saw Jesus Christ. For the first time he could see Jesus. For the first time he could see who God was. For the first time he could see who God was and who he was and he realized how extremely messed up he was. For the first time, he said he could see the, the hatred and the sin. He said for the first time, he realized God's power was greater than anything. And he said he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And it was shortly after that that John would write these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, help me, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Arguably, one of the greatest pieces of music ever written. Obstacle? I don't know. Maybe, just maybe, whatever it is you're going through today, maybe God wants you to go through because He's got a plan. And just maybe, if you were to give that to God, And just say, you know what? I'm going to be obedient. Use me. Do whatever. But I'm going through. And I'm going through with you. Maybe that's why we don't see very many miracles these days. Was blind, but now I see. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God. God, we praise you. God, I know there are some here today that the obstacles are big. And they're painful. And they're scary. But God, I pray that 
we would just hold tight to you. That we would just be faithful. That we would be obedient knowing that through all things. You are faithful. You are good. Wherever it is we are today, that we're right where you want us. God, help us to not be paralyzed, to not be fixated on blame. Just what is it you want us to see? What is it you want us to do? God, I thank you for your power, your grace, your mercy. God, make our blind eyes to see. We give you the glory, the praise, this day and every day.